Living Islam Narcissism the psychological catchword of the 21st century but what is narcissism how does it corrupt the soul and can it be treated and cured Join Maulana Zaheer Ahmed Ragi every Wednesday morning as he unpacks the topic of narcissism and enlightens us on the Islamic perspective of tackling this spiritual sickness. Radio Islam International, bringing you contemporary and pertinent psychological discussions. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to Radio Islam International. You are listening to the program You Are Loved with Mazir uh, Ahmed Ragi and myself, Muhammad Baum. And uh, we were discussing the topics about uh, narcissism. And in our last discussion, we did uh, the topic about, we were discussing more about a person creating boundaries. And this is especially when a person uh, has to have some. Uh, Interaction with the parents, and uh, you know that because of uh, the narcissist parents that the person has, he has to create uh, certain types of boundaries. Uh, but this uh, we discussed last week that uh, the rights of the parents uh, should uh, ad- ad- falls directly under the rights of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So how a person should create boundaries, and uh, we discussed how a person when he creates boundaries, he doesn't disrespect his parents also. And uh, with that, we had a few questions, and one of the questions uh, we did want to bring up this morning, Marana. Yes, uh, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. We say welcome to all our listeners on Radio Islam, Radio Al Ansar. And on the Ummahat platform, uh, what we've done for today, Monana, uh, is that we've got a sister, Sister Naira, who is a therapist, a psychologist, who does lots of counseling. And we thought it to be a good idea to get her to answer one or two of our questions that have come last week. Uh, firstly, Salamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Sister Naira. Assalamu alaikum to all listeners. Jazakallah for having me this morning. Jazakallah, and we really appreciate the time. So we're going to take one question that has come last week, and the question is that I feel insecure and always question why people leave me, yet I try my best to please them. Uh, then I become depressed. So this is the question that we would want uh, you to address for us today, inshallah. Inshallah, Malana. Uh, I'll do my best to answer the question for the listener. Um, assalamu alaikum to all listeners. My name is Naira Abed. Um, so, Malana, in order to understand the pattern, right? The pattern we're talking about is this insecurity. In order to understand that pattern, you need to understand where it comes from, right? So, let's talk about it from a nervous system perspective. Mm-hmm. Just like anxiety, the insecurity is like a constant alertness in the body, right? It's a protection mechanism. Okay. So that Security obviously comes from a past experience, possibly as a child, an event probably took place. And as we know, children don't have the capacity to self-regulate or to rationalize, right? Yes. Cognitively, the brain is then trying to make sense of the situation, perhaps even trying to rationalize it or make an excuse for it, Mm -hmm. looking for an answer as a safety response, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So take people in these abusive narcissistic situations. I've always wondered why is it so difficult for them to actually leave. And at some level, it's as if the brain can't accept the happy, comfortable relationship. And then these behaviors set in unconsciously where people drive other people away, right? Mm -hmm. And in doing that, it's almost like saying, you see, 
I would write. They always leave. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's like you want to stay in that loop to justify this brain's response of survival. And that response we're talking about is that insecurity of fear, right? Yes. So yes. I want you to keep in mind that as much as the person would love to be in safety, like who wouldn't, right? Got but it. who are they without this pattern? Because it's been there for the longest time. It's all they've ever known since that um, event took place in their lives. And it's very difficult to break these patterns. For example, I'll take my own, right? When you talk about physical pain, my trauma response after my event was back pain as opposed to an insecurity, right? Mm-hmm. And the trauma release facilitator, when I started, she asked me a question. She asked me, are you ready to let go of this pain? And stupid question, right? Who wouldn't want to let go of their pain? But as I let it go in treatment, so much emotion after. It's like that pattern, as just as the fear and insecurity, is unconsciously driven to protect yourself. So as soon as I let go of the back pain, I have to deal with the underlying issue. Yes, yes. So the solution I would think is to go back to where it was created in the first place and undo or deal with the initial trauma, which is the reason for this coping mechanism in the first place. Mm -hmm. So stores in the body, and then it's almost as if this person wants to prove that they always leave. And they don't know how to let go of this pattern, right? It's... It's like if there's a bad outcome, they feel safe when it actually happens. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Basically, the, the pattern is unconsciously driven due to a past childhood event or series of events that obviously led this person to believe they are not safe. And now the coping mechanism is starting to disrupt their lives and their relationships more from an unconscious level. So to understand the pattern is driven by something that is already there. Yes. yes. And that's the way you have to deal with having better relationships moving forward and let go of the fear and insecurity, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And, and any idea of how one should try and let go of those insecurities? Look, there's many different types of modalities out there to use. For example, you could go, you know, for psychology or any treatment. First things first, you have to make the connection. The connection between the pattern and the child version of you that needs to deal with something. Okay. Secondly, it depends what works for you. For me personally, I could talk about the issue for forever, mm-hmm. but the memory was not even there. My brain had blocked it out. So in order for me to get to that memory, I needed to do body work to release the contraction that happened in the first place, to even remember what it is that's causing this. So to be honest, it's more like a combination of brain and body work yes. and acknowledging yes. that you have an issue, that it's not that people leave you. It's not that you deserve to be left. Yes. It's more that you are trying to cover up for something. For something, well. yes. Okay. Now, Jazakumullah, Jazakumullah, and we really appreciate your time. And inshallah, as we go along, we are going to take uh, benefit from your expertise, inshallah. Inshallah. Jazakumullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Well, now that uh, the parenting issues have been addressed, uh, we did that in, a, in the last few uh, episodes that we were talking about your love. We can move on to identify codependency traits in people and understanding how their parents unknowingly planted the seeds that led to the growth and development of this order in the children. Yes, now, uh, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. It's so <clears throat> coincidental uh, that what we are going to discuss actually is going to follow on what Sister Naira had just mentioned mm. to us. So, as you said, that the parenting issues are something that has happened to people and some certain experiences that they might have had 
as a child uh, that has that causes some of these disorders so we now move on to identifying uh, this trait that we call codependency traits in people and understanding how sometimes certain parents unknowingly plant the seeds that leads to the growth and development of this disorder in children so first one and we're going to identify some of these traits in parents and uh, before we go Marana, if there are questions that our listeners would want to pose they can some of them we will try and uh, answer and some of them we are going to now get, try and get some more professional help mm. like how we've done today uh, to assist our listeners and viewers in order to manage uh, this uh, disorder that is uh, been experienced by lots of people. So the first, dis- uh, first thing that we are going to talk about today is uh, parents are sometimes controlling. When life gets overwhelming, then parents try to sort out everything by being in control over everyone. And this is not necessarily only parents, but it can happen to anyone, even if you're not a parent and if you're just a partner in a marriage or between employer, employee, or which, wherever there are relationships. So when life gets overwhelming and you have all these difficulties and challenges, Uh, People would try to sort everything out by being in control over everyone, everything and every situation, to feel a sense of safety, to feel a sense of security. And also, sometimes you want to have a feel of importance. So many codependents feel the need to control their loved ones because they need other people to behave in a certain way to feel better about themselves. Now, caretaking can be used to control and manipulate people. Caretaking can, ta- can be used to control and manipulate people. For example, younger siblings to control younger siblings. And they can be become, uh, the senior siblings can become bossy, tell them what they should or shouldn't do. Uh, they always like to feel that they know what's best for everyone. And sometimes uh, they feel overly responsible. Children, some children feel overly responsible. Now, this is also due to how we parent and how sometimes single parents causes this in others, other of the children. So these children often, often feel that they grew up too quickly because of the load of responsibilities they had to bear, such as taking care of their siblings. These children may have been entrusted with certain tasks, such as making sure that their younger sibling are fed have done their homework because the mother is busy with other things. They may even need to get a job later in life after, you know, school, some part-time work, or after they're going to university, college, to sometimes even pay the bills or look after a sick parent by making sure they take their medication, eat on time. These are sometimes certain responsibilities that are given to children that are growing 
And as a result, they may work harder and sacrifice spending time with their friends. So these children who require, you know, friendship with other friends, uh, time to play, may not be able to have that. So they sacrifice spending time with friends to attend to matters at home, which sometimes would lead them to become shy introverts with no social life and a lack of friends. Now, if you took that question that we've just posed, mm. Morana, and what our sister said, it would be something that was in uh, uh, embedded in the child uh, of uh, whales growing up. And these are some of the reasons that you find these children grow up with these uh, disorders. So they, they have this extra responsibilities placed on them because of the environment of the home. There is a single parent and the mother might be busy with lots of other things. And this child, the senior uh, sibling, uh, is tasked with this responsibility to ensure the other children do their homework. They might have to care for what someone elderly in the home. So they lack the opportunity or they don't have the opportunity of playing with friends, growing up with uh, friends of the same age. And it can result in them becoming introverts. It can result in them having no social life and a lack of friends. And I need to make a very important side note here. Many single mothers have found that they have no choice but to live in this situation where a child is given more responsibility than he or she should have to take care of siblings and other matters. And many a times this is due to a lack of support from an ex-husband, lack of support from male relatives. Uh, we need to understand that according to Islamic law, once a woman is divorced from her husband, the husband is still liable to regularly pay child maintenance and fulfill his children's needs. And this can include, and it should include, even the rent and the bills of the house they are living in with their mother. If that child is living with the mother, it is the responsibility of the father to ensure that they are living in an environment where the mother does not have to be concerned with the bills of living there because she is taking care of the child of the father. So if, if she hasn't remarried, obviously, and if she's widowed, then the financial responsibility of the children lies with the deceased partner's family. Mm. And if they are unable to provide this, then her own family must take care of her financially so that she does not neglect her children's needs by spending all of her time working to make ends meet. And if she is working to make ends meet, the result would be that she does not have the sufficient time and the energy to take care of her children who are a joint responsibility of her and her husband, previous husband. And if this does not happen, and this child is being granted the extra responsibilities, what then happens is this child lacks some of the, the advantages of growing with equal children, having friends, etc. 
and that could have a very negative impact on the growing maturity of the child and the child can suffer from insecurities, can suffer from uh, becoming an introvert and the result can be exactly what we have just spoken of in the beginning of our discussion. Hmm. Well, then we come that uh, this is among the reasons why in Islam men are given twice as much inheritance as women only in some cases and depending on the family structure so that when uh, circumstances like these arise, they step up and provide for them. It is commonly assumed that Islam oppresses women by making the inheritance half that of their brothers, but it is not so. Yes. So, Moran, this results, uh, so uh, the question that you've now asked is, t- is stems from what we've just said. The joint responsibility of taking care of a woman. Now, as you correctly said, that among the reasons why is in Islam men are given twice as much inheritance as women. Only in some cases and depending on the structure of the inheritance. And the reasons for this is that when circumstances like these arise, which we are just speaking of, uh, they step up and provide for them. The male relatives supposed to be providing for them. And it is commonly assumed that Islam oppresses women by making their inheritance half of their brothers. However, as Muslims and as believers, it's important to have faith in Allah's fairness. It's important to have faith in justice towards, uh, in having the faith that Allah Ta'ala is absolutely fair. Allah Ta'ala is absolutely just towards all his creation. So in the laws of inheritance, there is absolute fairness, there is absolute justice. And the Quran talks about how Allah Ta'ala is fair. And your Lord wrongs no one. لا يظلم ربك أحدا. Allah is never unjust and oppressor to his servants. Therefore, the laws that Allah Ta'ala has ordained, such a law should, shouldn't take, shouldn't shake our faith or our perception of Allah Ta'ala. But rather, it calls for an understanding as to why Allah Ta'ala stipulated the shares in inheritance as he has. And the wisdom behind this law is that men have been made responsible for financially looking after their families. They have been made responsible for financially looking after the families, whereas women don't have that responsibility. Single women are to be financially looked after by their fathers, by their brothers, and married women are to be fully provided for by their husbands. Thus, for all purposes, Islamic inheritance law actually protects the wealth of women and is more in their favor as they get to keep their portion of inheritance for themselves and they can spend it how they please, whereas men are expected to spend it on their own needs and the needs of everyone under their care. And this is how Allah Ta'ala justifies this for us and makes it a fair balance of equal rights. The financial responsibilities of men include 
For example, the payment of mahar, wedding arrangements, accommodation, expenses, ongoing financial maintenance and support for their families, accommodating the families, the living expenses of their ex-wives who are single mothers, if they are taking care for their children, who are caring for the children, their children's education, financial support for their parents, and extended family if circumstances demand this. So a larger portion of property inheritance is also given to men so that they can house people under their care, such as divorcees, widows in their families who have children. And this ruling also protects women from any circumstances that would place them in financial difficulties as they would have savings. But unfortunately, only few today understand the wisdom behind the laws of inheritance of Allah Ta'ala and it's abused so by so many who take advantage of it and don't fulfill their financial and emotional duties towards female relatives. And this is one of the reasons why sometimes certain homes where there is a single mother uh, goes through the difficulties that she has to and places undue pressure on the growing children that are living with that mother. Mm. That's definitely true. Ma, the next question coming is uh, the, they feel shy socially. So codependents usually grow up feeling inadequate and un- uncomfortable in social events and gatherings, especially among strangers. Yes, Marana, I think we, uh, before I even go there, we have to apologize that we started a little late today. And uh, it's a common thing today that we blame load shedding. <laughs> so it was actually my uh, miscalculations uh, that we miscalculated the load shedding and the traffic jams and therefore we were late. And I find that we may not be able to cover much of the things that we were supposed to cover. Mm. However, but if there are people that have certain questions and now that inshallah we will have a professional counselor with us, you can ask your questions and we may uh, be able to uh, discuss this at a later time inshallah. Uh, they can send their WhatsApp messages to 0727861548. Yes, inshallah. Jim. So uh, they feel shy socially. Codependents usually grow up feeling inadequate. They usually grow up feeling uncomfortable in social events. They usually grow up feeling uncomfortable in gatherings, especially among strangers. They feel out of place and don't have the confidence to approach people uh, it is uh, it makes it make friends they feel that they don't have the confidence to approach people they don't have the confidence to make friends they don't have the confidence to network with people and they take responsibility for other people's mistakes by blaming themselves if something goes wrong. This is one of the traits of a codependent. They take responsibility for other people's mistakes by blaming themselves if something goes wrong. 
And this can lead to depression as they carry other people's burdens while struggling with their own. And these are among the issues that this particular uh, listener uh, asked last week, and we are addressing this in detail, uh, that it can lead to depression as you carry other people's burdens while struggling with your own insecurities. For example, if they see their mother get abused by their father, they will assume it's because of them that their mother is abused by the father. And we notice that many a times, many children that grow up in an abusive home shift the blame of the father to themselves, that they are the ones that are the cause for the, for the drama in the home. So if they see their mother get abused by their father, they will assume it's because of them. Parents are also known to burden codependent children with their own problems. So if the parent is unwell or wants to vent about their partner, they'll do so with the child. So many parents will complain to the child about the spouse, about the partner. And this also causes much problems in the child. They, parents are known to burden codependent children with their problems. So if the parent is unwell or wants to vent about their partner, they'll do so with the child. And the child eventually turns into uh, a so-called therapist for the parent who has to hear about how much they hate their mother, how much they hate their father, and many even ask their children for opinions on what to do. And many a children are not qualified to understand this. And they are in this difficulty of choosing and taking sides. This is extremely wrong to do and very damaging to a child's mental health. No child should ever have to carry the worries, the burdens, the stresses and the marital problems of their parents who need to find other adults to talk to. So as parents, you need to know that if you have a problem, don't use your child as your therapist and don't question the child so that the child needs to take sides, but you need to be brave enough to acknowledge that you have a problem and you need to consult professional counselors and therapists and do not manipulate the situation by placing your child in the situation where the child has to now counsel you and become a therapist. For children, listening to the parents vent about their problems can cause them to have, in fact, panic attacks, panic attacks in school, it can result in them isolating themselves from their friends and develop chronic anxiety. And this mm. is very, very important. Many are homes that have these problems and abusive homes. Many a times, one of the partners, male or female, would use the child as a counselor, as a therapist, and the parent would want to vent their 
their, their problems to the children. This causes unnecessary and undue pressure on the child. It can result in the child suffering from panic attacks. And it results in the child growing up as someone who is a codependent. And it can have lasting damages and damaging effects on the moral maturity of that child. Well, then, uh, because of this, we've seen that uh, the next point is going to come into play, that uh, they struggle with boundaries, uh, because these children weren't taught how to have healthy boundaries, so they're either non-existent, weak, or blurred, which encourages people to take advantage of them, or their boundaries are just too high, making them unable to trust anyone, and uh, from loving and intimate relationships, they often fear being hurt. Yes, so now this child that grew up as a result of a particular home environment and grows up as a codependent, we find that this child struggles with boundaries. These children, as you said, haven't been taught or didn't experience how to have healthy boundaries. So they either become non-existent, they just you know switch off, they become weak, or they become blurred, which encourages people to take advantage of them. Now, this child, when this child grows up, either to be an adult male or an adult female, will be an adult husband or an adult wife. And it, this child grows up as this adult upon whom people take advantage of because of their boundaries are too high, making them unable to trust anyone, it, they, are, they, are, they find a challenge in loving people uh, and form loving, intimate relationships. And what happens to this child that grows up fears and has this fear of being hurt. And this becomes a familiar dynamic in their adult lives as they let friends, uh, lovers and family members spouses, partners, continue to treat them in the same way. As long as someone shows the codependent that they need them, the codependent will stick around for, for them as they now feel somewhat important in someone's life. This child that grew up as a codependent feels that they feel somewhat important in someone's life. And it's important for parents and parents can notice this behavior in their children's relationship with their neighbors, with their cousins, with their friends from school. And parents ought to be observant of certain traits and characteristics in their children and observe that is my child perhaps developing these codependent traits in the way the child coexists with neighbors, children, coexists with their own friends and parents should then do a self uh, assessment of how they are parenting these children. Children who go out of their way to make their friends happy or still want to be their friends whilst being treated badly by them or subtly disrespected is a clear sign that they have codependency. Children who go out of their way and here the emphasis is children who go totally out of their way to make their friends happy and still want to be their friends whilst they were treated badly by them 
or even subtly disrespected and yet want to maintain that friendship and go out of the way to maintain that friendship is perhaps a clear sign that this child is growing up to be a codependent. And this is more common with girls who usually have, you know, uh, what we call is best friend issues. Mm. Girls suffer from these best friend issues. And this can be very stressful. It can be very depressing. And it is a depressing ordeal for many a children and a young child teenager. Especially if they don't find at least one living parent or one loving parent to talk to about their feelings when they come home. So these children, when they come home and they are unable to have mature discussions and guidance from their parents about their feelings, then there is a problem. So parents should ensure that they may maintain such relationships with their children that the child is able to have a mature consultation with parents. And the example of Yusuf alayhi salatu was salam is so beautiful that Yusuf alayhi salatu was salam was able to talk to Yaqub alayhi salatu was salam about his dreams and Yaqub alayhi salatu was salam was able to advise him correctly. And this is important. If left unaddressed, it can escalate into serious mental health problems such as chronic anxiety. It can trigger the onset of OCD, obsessive, compulsive disorder. It is at this second stage where a child's psychological programming begins to normalize a toxic relationship with a narcissistic stranger. It is this era, this time zone of growing up where it has, the child has these issues with best friend issues and the child does not have anyone to talk to. It is at this stage where the psychological programming of a child begins to normalize a toxic relationship with a narcissistic stranger. Dealing with a narcissistic parent or in a narcissistic home or a family member is the first stage of their programming. Are there any questions? I see we just have a few minutes left. Or any yeah. comments? <laughs> Ma, just uh, we see the three. We have only one comment coming in. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. What is the first step for reforming oneself if one is a narcissist? I think... Uh, the question itself, in it is the answer, mm. the acknowledging acknowledgement, acknowledging that I have a problem. Mm. That's the first step. And as we've said previously, Mara, that it is not necessarily that if you have certain traits that you are a narcissist. <laughs> we all have weaknesses. The important I- importance is to manage those weaknesses. And having one or two traits is natural for your own moral maturity and it does not necessarily make you a narcissist. But to acknowledge that I have certain uh, behavioral disorders, you need to do some self-assessment. 
Uh, and uh, we have mentioned that there are many people to whom, professional people, to whom you can go to and address these issues. And many a times uh, you will be able to identify whether you have those traits. And if you're not a narcissist, you will be able to be guided how to manage those weaknesses, inshallah. Salama, one more question coming in just now. Well, what advice can you give on dealing with anxiety? What advice can you give in dealing with anxiety? <laughs> so anxieties are certain fears, and inshallah, we'll ask uh, one of our, uh, we'll ask our sister to talk about this next week, inshallah. inshallah. What are the... What advice can we give on dealing with anxiety? With dealing with anxiety. But before we even do that, I think the few important things we need to talk of. We, uh, in, uh, sometime previously, we spoke about what causes. So you have your life... Uh, the past experiences results in certain fears of future and of present. So we need to firstly ensure that our iman is such that whatever happens to us has happened to us because that is the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, we need to also acknowledge that Allah ta'ala does not burden anyone more than what we can bear. So mm. these are two very fundamental principles that we need to keep in mind. Whatever happens to us, happened to us in the past was willed by Allah Ta'ala and it was something that we were able to bear. Second important thing is nothing is permanent. So if we are experiencing something now, some difficulty now, know that that difficulty is not there to remain forever. It is going to move away very soon because everything changes. And within a few moments or days or weeks or months, those difficult challenges will turn into goodness. Number three, perfection is only in Jannah. Perfection is the absolute quality of Allah Ta'ala. As humans and our relationships with people would change, we have our weaknesses, we have to manage the weaknesses of others. So these are first a few things that we need to keep in mind. After having kept these few things in mind, we also need to keep something else in mind and that is, and that is we need to make strong our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the relationship that we make strong with Allah ta'ala builds tawakkul, builds reliance, builds confidence. And these are important ingredients to remedy anxiety. And then thirdly, it is your dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your ibadah, your istighfar, the recital of the Quran kareem. These, I, these things play an amazing role in removing the signs and the challenges of anxiety. Jazakallah for the time. Much appreciated. Inshallah, we'll speak tomorrow again next week, Wednesday. Inshallah. Inshallah. We'll try to be on time, Inshallah. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum. From myself, Muhammad Baam, from Mazir Ahmed Ragi, and from Brother Ziad, who's our engineer. It's Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.